Pastor Bob, I've been a pastor for 43 years. He's thinking if a taxi driver gets that kind of welcome, boy, I can't wait to see what's going to happen for me. St. Peter finds his name, yawns, and says, yeah, you're here. Give him that, that cotton robe that's torn and patched right over there. Give him that old rough wooden staff and those, those beaten up sandals. And Pastor Bob says, wait a minute. You gave Joe, the taxi driver, a royal welcome. Golden slippers and silk robe, trumpets blowing, ceremony, pomp, splendor, golden staff. And me, you're going to give a wooden staff? And I've been a pastor for 43 years. And St. Peter said, well, that's how it works in heaven. He said, we base what we do on results. And Joe said, uh, and, and Pastor Bob said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when Joe, the taxi driver, drove, people prayed. You already see it coming, don't you? When you preach, they slept. There's a point in life when you want something that gets results. Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Raised us up. That's elevation. How do you experience that? Luke 9, verses 1 through 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Mark 11, 27 through 28, earlier in that chapter, you will find a, a series of notable, shocking things that Jesus did. And as a result of that, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus was walking in the temple courts and these stunned Pharisees and priests and elders and teachers of the law came to him and referring to those things that Jesus had done earlier in that chapter, Said, but what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority or who gave this authority to you? One of the things that you need to exercise spiritual or elevation, one of the things you need to have elevation move from theory into reality is spiritual authority. Father, I'm asking you to speak a word to us now that will forever change us. I ask you to do that Sunday after Sunday because there's no single book that has ever been written that is as powerful and has the capacity and ability to impact a human life as does your word. So don't let us hear it like we would just hear a lecture or a discussion. Let it impact us with the authority and the power that is contained in it. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said amen. amen. God has plans. Would you agree with me that whenever God plans something, he does a pretty good job of it? One look at the world 
and you can see with its infinite variety of species and colors and sizes and shapes and forms and descriptions and characteristics that when God plans a plan, he plans it well. Some people are good at planning, not so good at follow through. I one time had a guy who told me point blank, I like to create plans. I want somebody else to, to, to go and put them together. I said, you do understand that's a recipe for frustration because you can't always be telling everybody else what to do. You have to be able to plan and implement steps in your own life. They can't, nobody else can live your life for you. He said, I know. God has the ability to not only plan but to implement. Once again, a quick look at the world around us and we can see that what God designed and planned in the future has been expressed in reality. God has a plan for you. Boy, does he ever. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says he does. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Does God evermore have a plan for you? Unlike the plans that God makes about everything else in life when it comes to people, we have something other things in creation do not. We have an independent will. He made us that way. He didn't design us as robots without the ability or the freedom of choice because he gave us the right to make decisions. Even though he has a plan, ultimately, we choose whether to walk in it or not. It's the very fact that Adam and Eve did not walk in God's plan that is the reason that there's a thing called the gospel that we preach on Sunday mornings, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Had Adam and Eve obeyed God's plan, then there would have never have been a need for a Calvary. It could be argued that God in his infinite wisdom and his desire to show man just how great he was gave man the right to make decisions knowing man was going to mess up. God knew that. He knows the end from the beginning, so declares the Scripture. Yet he gave him that choice anyway, knowing that man would make a decision that would ultimately alienate and estrange him from God just so that God could go about showing how much he loved us by giving his son and his life and the sacrifice that we all know he gave on Calvary to demonstrate his goodness toward us. We might not have never known how great God was unless we had first encountered great need in our life. It's not until there's a demand that you discover the depth of the supply. Am I making sense? You can live from paycheck to paycheck and not even somebody might not even realize you're doing that. How do you discover the depth of your resource? Let a great need show up. And when the person smiles and whips out their checkbook and writes that check like it's nothing, you know they got some deeper pockets than you thought that they had. And when God was presented with man's bankruptcy and the enormity of man's need, he never even hesitated. He whipped out a check and wrote the greatest amount that could ever possibly be given for us, and that was his own son in our place. Now, Having said that, what I want to focus on is the fact that, that since we have the capacity for self-will, 
then that means that we must understand there is a cooperative role that we play in helping God's plans for our lives come to pass. You don't just sit back and just wait and expect it to happen. You understand what I mean? If you just sit back with your arms folded, you don't take the necessary steps to implement God's plan. How many of you know that even though this is what God wants, he won't force you to experience blessing or favor? No more than he forces you to be saved. I need a little response there. Now, what I'm talking about here is what I mentioned last Sunday. In the Psalms, it says that, that Israel saw the acts of God, parting of the Red Sea, all of these miracles, the plagues in Egypt. God, God showed them all of the acts, but he showed Moses something. He didn't show the rest of Israel. He showed him his ways. He showed the, Moses the principles behind why he was doing the things he did. And one of the ways of God are the principles of the kingdom, keys of the kingdom that help you facilitate and bring about God's plans in your life is to understand spiritual authority. Amen. I define spiritual authority as the legitimate right to make decisions that affect our lives and the kingdom and to implement strategies for the purpose of fulfilling vision, whether that's for our life or for the kingdom. It is even the right to utilize resources, the resources of heaven, for the success of this vision, whether it's for our life or for the kingdom. Spiritual authority is also the legitimate right to address resistance to the advancement of kingdom purposes. Because how many of you know there is an enemy that stands opposed to what God has planned for your life? Amen. And the reason that you must cooperate with God instead of just sitting back waiting for what God has spoken to happen is there is an enemy, if you're not actively seeking the fulfillment of God's plan, there is an enemy seeking to actively disrupt God's plan. That makes sense to anybody. And spiritual authority is the right to address resistance to the advancement of kingdom purposes, even to your own destiny. It is also the right to exercise spiritual power to remove that opposition and say, get out of my way, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. But to do that begs the understanding that you don't just sit back with your arms folded and wait and see what's going to happen. You have to be actively engaged in helping or walking out the plan that God has arranged for your life. Amen. I gave you seven reasons that as believers we sometimes lack spiritual authority. But because the enemy opposes every purpose of God, including his plan to bless you, and because the enemy in turn is actually seeking to promote his agenda above God's, revival in the world and your destiny, your elevation, can only come as churches begin to demonstrate the spiritual authority they were meant to function with. Since the enemy is opposing and since God has planned it, this, the, the, that he wants to bless us, wants to elevate your life, establish his kingdom, but since the enemy is actively 
fighting and resisting that, for me to just sit back and just wait and see what's going to happen isn't helping things at all. I need to realize the authority God has given me as a believer to tell the enemy when he starts fighting God's plans for my life or for the kingdom, Satan, that's it, enough. Stop right here. No more. Finito. You got it? Read my lips. This is not going to work. Amen. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 12, 29. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. Can I hear an amen somewhere? Now, what you need to know is that's not even talking about you binding the strong man. Jesus is the one that entered the strong man's house, and he bound the strong man 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about this is the correct theological understanding of this verse. You hear all these people say, you've got to bind the strong man. You're not doing any such thing. Jesus already bound him and led captivity captive. And made a show over them openly, triumphing in it. That's what Paul says. 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead, he bound the strong man. The problem is, is believers sometimes think that because the strong man was bound, then we just sit back and wait for whatever's going to happen next, and the enemy is still struggling. And when we as believers fail to exercise the authority given to us over the enemy by us failing to oppose him, watch it, we actively are empowering him. Oh, I need a better response than that. Amen. You are actively empowering the enemy if you don't resist him. This is why the Bible said resist the devil and he will flee from you. He doesn't flee till you resist. Amen. And there's too many people putting up with too much stuff Jesus already dealt with at the cross. But in the absence of us understanding our authority, do you realize what I'm saying is that the enemy becomes empowered all over again? Even though his empowerment is false and it's a lie and it's through deception and pulling the wool over our eyes, the end result's still the same. Amen. Even though he has no legitimate basis for his authority, if you don't oppose him and tell him that, he'll just act like he's still king of the house. Amen. I won't tell you how to put him out. You hear what I'm saying? So as believers, we must take over and have authority in our lives. We must oppose the strategies of the enemy. We must exercise spiritual authority in our finances, our relationships, our families, and over our destinies. Oh, hallelujah. I taught you the first Sunday I spoke this year, there are three things apart from God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit which become prophetic forces that actually determine your future. They can predict your future. These three things are, one, how you see yourself, Number two, the level of truth you know. And number three, how you apply that truth that you have learned. 
All three of these have a direct impact on the level of spiritual authority we as believers function in. Watch it now. Because how you see yourself affects your your level of spirituality or your spiritual authority, the enemy tries really hard to destroy your self-image. That's why from the time you're small, you got somebody telling you you're dumb, you're ugly, you're stupid, you can't ever do anything right, you never will get anywhere, you're going to mess up, you're going to end up in prison, the enemy's all, you know what I'm saying? Because he don't want you to realize that because you're a child of God, that you have the power to fulfill God's plans that he actually spoke over you. Amen. Now, here's what happens. You ever wake up and discover who you are? That you're, uh, you don't talk to me like that devil. I'm a child of God. Amen. Instead of him telling you how you never will amount to anything, you just look at, and if you ever look at him and say, on my worst day, I'm still your nightmare. When I got a 105 degree fever and in bed with a flu, you're still terrified of me. You ever wake up and discover who you are, he knows what the outcome's going to be. Amen. Amen. Religion also closes your mind to, to, to the ability to be able to function in spiritual authority. The level of truth you know and how you apply what you have learned affect your spiritual authority because these two things will either get you bogged down, number one, in religion or tradition. Why? And the level of truth you know is directly impacted by whether or not you're captive to religion. Because you can get so bound and tied down in religion, you can't see any more truth in what grandma taught you. And she only knows what her grandma taught her. I'm not saying that truth, truth changes. You just will never allow yourself to see any more of it. Because bless God, you know, that's how I was raised. You understand what I'm saying? Tell somebody, I always want to keep an open mind for truth. Would you do that? Tradition causes you to become bogged down where you don't function in spiritual authority because tradition causes you to reject new ideas, methods, or technologies. Amen. The Methodist church, you know why there's a Methodist church today? It's because when John Wesley started preaching, the traditional church didn't want him preaching anywhere but in pulpits. And he wanted to go out to where the masses were. And as a result of that, they gave him the left hand to fellowship. And he had to start a new religious organization. I'm not making that up. That's one of the reasons there's a Methodist church today. is because John Wesley believed you could preach somewhere other than in a church on Sunday morning. And they believed, no, that was a violation of the sacred, you know, canon for you to stand anywhere other than in a pulpit in a church on Sunday to preach the word. It's strange to believe that folk could actually take a position like that, but it's true. And so again, what the enemy will try to do then as a result of that is get you bogged down with poor self-esteem, get you buried in religion, or get you blinded by tradition. 
Because any one of those three will paralyze you as far as spiritual authority is concerned. Mm, somebody in the building needs to say amen. Now, observation, stay with me because I'm going to preach to you, teaches us that the level of spiritual authority that individual church members function in determines the level of authority present within their church. That is to say, there is no authority that goes with this being a church building. The authority is not in the building, it's in the people in the building. The church is not brick and mortar. It's the flesh and blood sitting on the pews. Amen? So, the level of spiritual authority in a local church is determined by how much authority the individual members of that church have. What they're walking in. That, in turn, determines that church's impact on the community. Because just like the enemy is seeking to oppose God's plans for your life, He's seeking to oppose the plans that God has for those sitting around you and also those in this community. So, just like somebody's got to stand up and say enough is enough, amen, to be able to take control of their life, for a church to impact a community, a church collectively has got to stand up and say enough is enough. The collective spiritual authority of the churches in a city or a nation in turn affect their ability to impact that city or that nation. That is to say that when all the churches in a city are present on Sunday morning, it's not the buildings again that have, the, that have spiritual authority, it's the worshipers that are there. And when the churches within a certain city, the, the membership come to understand spiritual authority, that city experiences a breakthrough. This is why some places have revival and others do not. This is why some places people are blessed more than they are elsewhere. Has nothing to do with the fact that God likes this place better or that place better than he does another. It's the fact that the believers in that city have collectively upped the level of spiritual authority they are walking in. Stay with me now. Worldwide impact is actually an expression of the spiritual authority of local churches around the world. And what I'm saying is, is that, ladies and gentlemen, for there to be a breakthrough, somebody has got to say enough is enough. Stay with me just a little bit. I'll make it plain. I will. I'm going to make it plain. Somebody has to say, I'm not going to accept the status quo anymore. Amen. And what happens is when enough people say that, we change the dynamic tension in an area, as it were. We change the balance, as it were. 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. Spiritual authority, then, is a personal thing. And the reason I'm stressing this, because I know folk that say things like, man, you know, I need a miracle. I hear Brother Wonder Worker is in town. I'm going to go over and get him to pray for me. You know, uh, that's not the solution. Though I'm not opposed to you having anybody pray for you. You understand what I'm saying? 
The solution is you need to kick up the level of your resistance to the enemy and put him in his place. And when the churches within a community and the members within churches decide that they're going to change things, that changes things more than having somebody else come in and wave his hand over the place and scatter a little oil and, and, and understand I'm not belittling anybody. Amen. What I'm trying to say is spiritual authority is a personal thing. But we often judge how well we are doing by looking around at those around us. And that determines the level of spiritual authority we seek in our lives. We look around, compare ourselves to one another, and we say, well, I'm doing about as good as others here, a little better than some, not quite as bad as some others, and and a little worse maybe than somebody else. And what we do is accept, accept the status quo. And once we have accepted a status quo, that determines the spiritual climate of a church. And once churches in an area accept the status quo, that determines the spiritual climate of an area. Stay with me. Every once in a while, you realize something and something happens that makes you wake up to the fact that you can't accept the status quo any longer. I was just in India, and I was reminded of this. And um, I was with the Matthews. They have been in ministry now 50 years. Wonderful people. Their youngest son is named Davis. He's actually been here before. Davis must be in his 30s, maybe late 30s. I don't know. And when he was born, he was afflicted with polio. Now, Grace and Chern and Matthew went to Gujarat State in an area, that area where they are, there's 16 million people. It's nearly entirely Hindus and Muslims that are extremely anti-Christian. And you have no idea the ridicule that they have been through. I shared with you that some of the pastors ordained while I was there have been beaten, thrown in jail, I mean physically assaulted, I mean treated like you can't believe. The Matthews family has been through hardships that are indescribable. Their next door neighbor, Donnie, you remember the house right behind the Matthews where their enemy lived? You may or may not remember. Right outside there was a small chapel. Many Hindu homes have temples to their idol gods in their homes or in their yards. You will drive down the highway and see these little bitty, it's kind of like a little house with a dome on it. That's a temple. And I'm telling you, there are idols everywhere. Their neighbor hated the Matthews passionately. Davis had, as I said, been afflicted with polio, was wearing braces on both his legs. And they would make fun of that family and say, ha, you claim your Jesus can heal. And one day, whenever Grace was outside, the woman walked up to her from the next door neighbor's house and told her, ha, what kind of God is this you serve? If he, your Jesus was who he says he was, he would heal your boy and laughed. And it made Grace mad. Fee, fi, fo, fum. She went 
and she began to pray. And sometimes it takes something like that to make you become dissatisfied with the status quo. And she reached down and pulled those braces off Davis's legs. And she said, God, here he is. You either heal him or take him. Now, understand, I'm not encouraging that. Had I been Davis, I probably would have said, wait a minute, Mom, do I get to have a say in this? If it's all the same to you, you know, this take me stuff. But do you know because she got tired of the status quo, God healed her son. Do you know that is the beginning of the breakthrough that they had in India? That revival can be traced back to somebody standing up and exercising the authority that they had as a believer. Lord have mercy. Somebody could mistakenly believe that when Grace prayed that at that moment she persuaded God to heal Davis. No. Uh Uh-uh. She didn't beg God to heal Davis then. You're missing the point. Jesus had already paid for Davis's healing 2,000 years before. Come on, you gotta get what I'm saying. When the stripes were placed on the back of Jesus, by his stripes ye were healed. At that moment, the price was paid. She didn't twist God's arm and persuade him to heal Davis. He had already decided to heal Davis before Davis was ever born. It's just mama finally had enough and said, I'm going to exercise the authority that I have as a believer. And sometimes you got to tell the devil, that's it, no more. This is finished right now. I'm claiming my privilege as a believer. Sometimes you got to tell the devil no mas. It stops right here. Today you and I are getting ready to have a problem. Whether it's with your finances, your marriage, your family, your ministry, your anointing, your business. You as a believer need to exercise spiritual authority. The level of authority that CT operates in is determined by what we have accepted as the status quo. Amen. Come on, help me out. Our spiritual authority as a church is directly Determined by the spiritual authority of the individual members in this house. And that is determined by how much you're willing to let the devil affect you. We affect each other. 
And this is why whenever you say enough is enough, like grace did, and you walk out in the authority that God has given you, what happens is often there's a a breakthrough and revival that follows that. Amen. A breakthrough for one person often results in a breakthrough for somebody else. Oh, Lord. Amen. That's why one miracle often leads to another miracle. Amen. In fact, one miracle usually will lead to multiple miracles taking place. We'll never forget, I had a fellow here named Freddie Clark one time. Anybody remember Freddie? A few of you do. I bet there weren't 12 people in this building that, that will be in all four services, 12. I doubt 12 from, from, from that, that many years ago, Freddie came. I picked Freddie Clark up at the airport on a Sunday morning. It was his first time to preach in Houston. I know he didn't know anybody. He came to church and he was preaching and there was someone sitting on the aisle, an elderly lady toward the back. A man sitting right next to her was visiting that she didn't know. Nobody knew. I knew. A couple of people that were connected to him knew him, but other than that, nobody there knew him. He and his wife were having marriage trouble. I had counseled them. He actually was working for one of the contractors in our church. They and I had invited him to that meeting. Freddie walked back to where this lady was at. Let's say the guy's name was Bill Davis. (laughs) Freddie walked back to the lady and said, Ma'am, the Holy Spirit tells me you're close to somebody named Davis. Bill Davis is sitting right next to her in the seat right beside her. And you need to be praying for Davis. And she says, I don't know anybody named Davis. (laughs) He said, well, the Holy Spirit tells me you're very close to someone you should be praying for named Davis. He walked away. A few minutes later, he came back and said, ma'am, are you sure you don't know anybody named Davis? Because the Holy Spirit tells me you're very close to somebody named Davis. And she got a little testy and said, I told you, I don't know anybody named David. I mean, said it where the whole church could hear it. Everybody's thinking, some prophet this guy is. He walked off completely unperturbed, came back a few minutes later and said, ma'am, are you absolutely, you don't know somebody named Davis because the Holy Spirit's telling me you're very near somebody named Davis that you need to be praying for. She put her hand on her hip and said, I done told you, I don't know anybody named Davis. He completely unmoved. He just looked around and said, is there anybody named Davis in this area? Donnie, were you here that, that Sunday? I don't think Donnie had even come to be part of our staff yet at that time. Bill Davis, sitting right next to her, when Freddie asked, is there anybody named Davis, he went. (laughs) Freddie said, would you please stand? He stood up and he said, sir, does the name Bill Davis mean anything to you? I'm telling you, I thought I was going to have to call paramedics. 
I mean, that guy, he, he couldn't make it to the altar fast enough. From that moment, when word of that got out, we had a breakthrough in that. I'm telling you, when somebody decides to walk in spiritual authority, it encourages everybody to do the same thing. We had miracle after miracle happen. Amen. Miracle after miracle. So this is actually why God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Did you know that? It's because of this whole thing that we influence or impact others. And what we accept ends up setting a standard of acceptance for others also. Because they look around and say, Okay, for them, I guess it's fine for me. And this is why Ananias and Sapphira were killed. Many people believe, mistakenly, that the reason God killed Ananias and Sapphira is because they lied. If that were the case. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're getting it now, uh uh-huh. There'd be a whole lot of funerals if you could find pastors still living to conduct them. You get my point. It wasn't why God killed Ananias and Sapphira. The church was walking in such a level of spiritual authority. They were commanding unclean spirits to leave. They were leaving. They were commanding healing and miracles. They were walking in the authority that God gave them. Ananias and Sapphira came in and lowered the standard. And God said, if I let them stay, the whole level's going down. Amen. If I ignore what just happened, it is a sad commentary on the state of the church that stuff like that happens all the time now and God doesn't do anything about it. What it means is the church has reached a level where that is now typical and is considered average behavior. Now, what needs to happen is that you and I need to do about elevation what Grace did about her son Davis and tell the devil, that's enough. It stops right here. Amen. I know who I am in Christ and I'm putting my foot down to claim my privilege as a believer. I have been raised up. Oh, Lord to sit with Christ in heavenly places. I'm a child of God. I will not live beneath the level of God's promise for me. I'm commanding finances to come and destiny and healing. Miracles. I'm commanding breakthrough and revival. I'm God's child. Come on, somebody give him some praise right now. I'm not putting up with this anymore. Today is where it stops. Do you hear me, devil? Today is where it stops.
Lord, I feel a breakthrough in this place right now. Somebody needs to take authority. Somebody needs to take authority. Woo! There's something going on in this room right now. Stand with me. That's as far as I'm going. There's a breakthrough in this house. There's a breakthrough in somebody's life. One breakthrough not only lifts your faith, but it lifts the faith of others around you. When you tell the devil, it's enough. And someone else is encouraged to do the same thing. That's why when David killed Goliath, he started something. Up until then, they thought Goliath's giants, people of that ilk, they thought they were invincible. That mortal men could not defeat people like them. And all it took was one little shepherd boy who said, Who are you? Who are you? Don't you know who I am? I'm a child of God. I have authority. Who do you think you are? And when David killed Goliath, all of a sudden, other soldiers among the children of Israel said, if he can, I can too. You don't know what you're starting when you have a breakthrough in your life. I need somebody to realize revival is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Come join me. Pastor Donnie's going to close. I've got to go to the other service. But I can't wait till next Sunday. And I'm going to talk about the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. God's doing something in this house. Raise your hands with me in Jesus' name. Father, today I release. Come on, everybody, come right now. Today I release spiritual authority in this place. Hallelujah. There's something happening in this place right now. With your hands lifted to heaven. Oh, God, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
there's nothing else to say folks just go ahead and let the holy spirit have his way right now that wasn't a sermon that was a word from god that was a word from god you need to learn the difference between a sermon and a word from the lord that was a word from the lord for somebody in this place if not all of us collectively and corporately as a body with your hands lifted to heaven right now hallelujah 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 somebody's getting ready to walk in that authority somebody's getting ready to walk right divinely into what god has destined and ordained for their life that's why the devil tried to kill you before you got into this year that's why he tried to snuff out your faith before you got to this point right here <laughs>